First, a pandemic-induced economic depression, then a wave of historic inflation. This has become an increasingly dominant topic in the business press as the Federal Reserve moves to wind down some of the key policies they have used to keep Wall Street afloat for several years. We'll take a look at the latest signs and what they mean for the working class. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are excited to have again Professor Richard Wolf join us for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to this show. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can also find a new hard copy edition of Professor Wolff's book, Understanding Marxism. It has a new lengthy introduction, strengthening the case for why Marxism is indeed worth understanding. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. Professor Wolf, we're changing things up a little bit this week because many of us are involved in organizing at the People's Summit of the America. The government, the Biden administration, is having the Summit of the Americas about Half of the Americas have decided not to come because of the exclusionary policies towards Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua. But we're going to be in Los Angeles and we're going to be meeting. There's going to be a huge turnout at the People's Summit. People from unions, community organizations, immigrant rights groups, peace organizations. About 200 organizations have come together in this very unique grassroots coalition. A lot of workers will be there. And the unions are bringing quite a number of workers, a number of different unions. And of course, what's on everyone's mind in California and around the country is inflation. I'm looking out, though, at some of the headlines, CEO outlook dims the CEOs, maybe more than 50% of them that have been surveyed are now predicting a recession. There's another article, the U.S. labor market is still tight, and yet millions of Americans are either have either resigned or left their jobs or are considering leaving their jobs. I talked to my daughter who was in Seattle, Washington. She said, you know, the price of gasoline here is $7 a gallon. It's not that high here in Washington. Professor Wolf, I want to talk to you about all of these things. But first, I want to start with a tweet that caught my attention. It was was written by you. Here it is. Plain English translations. One, quote, labor shortage, close quote when employers don't pay enough to obtain workers. Two, quote, supply chain disruptions, close quote, 
when employers don't pay for backups or to stockpile to handle disruptions. Three, quote, efficiency, close quote, whatever employers do to boost profits. Anyway, I thought that tweet said it all in a way, but let's get started. Okay. Um, let's begin with this inflation. First of all, and we talked about this before, but it, it needs to be said over and over again. Inflation, which is a general rise in prices, is something done by the 1% of our people, if it's even that many, who are in the position to determine prices, to raise them when they want to. That's the employer class, the capitalists of this economy. They are in a position to raise prices whenever they want. They are free to do that because that's what the position of capitalist involves. And by the same logic, if you are an employee, you are excluded from setting prices. Nobody who's an employee, or let's put it this way, 99.99% of the employees of this country have nothing to do with setting prices. They have to pay the prices, but they don't set them. If you're an employer, you not only pay prices for things, but you also set the price of the things you produce, which means an inflation is a decision made by one or less than 1% of the people that the other 99.9% of the people have to live with. Therefore, let's ask and answer the simple question. Why do employers raise prices as they are currently doing? The answer is the same answer that is given by employers to the question why they do anything. Buy a machine, hire more workers, get a truck, move abroad. Whatever the question is, their answer is it enhances profits. They're in the business to make profits. Profits is their bottom line. I could go on, but you get the point. Therefore, when you ask the question, why are you raising prices, the only honest answer is because it's profitable for us to do so. We're in the business of making profits. We are not in the business of making life easier for the mass of people. Indeed, when we raise our prices to boost our profits, it's going to come out of the hides of the working class which has to pay the higher price in the grocery store, the higher price in the drugstore, the higher price in the hardware store. You know the story. And that is a disaster for a working class that has just been through the ringer of the COVID pandemic and of the economic crash that accompanied that pandemic Although blaming the pandemic for the crash misunderstands that capitalism has crashes every four to seven years, we were due for one and we would have had one with or without the pandemic. The problem with an inflation is that while it boosts profits for most capitalists, in other ways it can damage capitalists. One way is by making the rest of the world choose to buy goods and services from other parts of the world rather than from the United States. Why? Because 
prices are rising here, and our current inflation is higher than the rate of price increase in most of the rest of the world, and therefore customers are shifting away from U.S. goods to foreign goods. And for some Americans, this isn't a good piece of news at all, and they want something done about it. Then there are the mass of the working class, which is screaming bloody murder, having gone through the two horrible years, 2020, 2021, to be hit in the face with an inflation now is one gross injustice too many. And so there is political upset in the country, there is anger, there is bitterness, Uh, Wages are currently rising at 4%, which is less than half of what the rate of price increases are, so that workers are falling further and further behind. And wherever you look in the United States today, there is, quote unquote, social unrest, which is a polite way of describing how angry and upset people get when you squeeze them economically. And while for some people it might be compensating to deal with your loss of income, your loss of a good job, your inability to pay the prices, to meet your monthly expenses, for some people having a gun or 12 or 15 in your house makes you feel more like the person you wish you were. But in the end, the freedom to own a gun is a very poor compensation for the lack of freedom you have if your job is no good, if the security of your job is no good, if the pay is inadequate, and all the rest. Anyway, the bottom line, the government worries that it will be blamed for the inflation. Now, the irony is that the government is right to be worried, but it is also correct to understand that inflations are not caused by government activity. That is a common misunderstanding promoted by people whose job it is to distract us from the capitalism that is our problem to the government, as if the government did the things it did out of some intrinsic weakness or strangeness or evil, rather than serving the capitalists whose donations, as we all know, keep the government going, put the politicians in the offices that they occupy, fund the political parties that present us with the choices, etc., etc. But governments worry they will be blamed. Mr. Biden and the Democrats he runs with are worried they will be blamed. So here's what they've done. And if this won't outrage you, I don't know what will. They've decided they have to do something about the inflation, or at least look like they're doing something. And the best they could come up with, which tells you all you need to know about the Democrats, the best they could come up with is to endorse what Mr. Powell, the head of the Federal Reserve, has announced as the Fed's policy anyway. They're going to raise interest rates, and they're going to do it raise them a lot, and they're going to raise them in a short amount of time. They've already begun to do that. And this, of course, is a tried and true policy. It is clear that the Biden administration reappointed Mr. Powell as head of the Fed, because even though he's a Republican, and even though he was put there by Trump, etc., etc., 
they're keeping him there, once again telling us that the difference between the Republicans and the Democrats on anything about domestic economics is a very minute item and very, very little distance you need a microscope uh, ever to see. And so they're going to do that. They're going to raise interest rates. They've already done it. What's the logic here? Very simple. By raising interest rates, you cripple people who are either already in debt or you dissuade people who were thinking of borrowing money because now it's going to cost more to do that since interest rates have gone up. Let me give you a couple of examples. A few months ago, mortgages in this country to buy a home, if you borrowed money, which most people do to buy a home, you had to pay around 3% per year interest on your mortgage loan. That's now 5%. Well, that means your monthly payment is now hundreds, if not thousands of dollars more for the same house than it was uh, six months ago. We are at the lowest point in many decades in the affordability of housing. No young people with the kinds of incomes they earn and the jobs they have, they're not getting married. They're not going to buy a home because they can't afford it. And so the idea is by raising interest rates, not only will houses stop selling, but automobiles will be more expensive to buy because you buy it on time, paying for it over several years, during which the interest rate shapes what your monthly payment is. The same applies to your credit card. We're all going to see higher monthly bills there as the interest rate charged on our outstanding balances goes up. And finally, students will actually not only not get the relief they were promised by Mr. Biden as a candidate, but they may be facing very soon rising interest rates for their debts, present and future. So the whole idea is you're going to cripple all these people. They can't borrow for their credit card the way they could before, for their automobile, for their home, for their child's education. And with their cutbacks, sellers will go, oh my goodness, people are not able to borrow, therefore they're not able to buy. I dare not raise my price because I'll lose customers. Notice the logic here. You're going to try to stop the inflation by hurting directly the people who owe money, whoever they are. And you're hoping that that then trickles over to the actual price setters, which you hope will then not raise prices because you've shrunk their consumer buyers in the world. Wow. Talk about scratching your left ear with your right hand rather than going with your left hand, which is closer. This is a peculiarity, and it's a peculiarity that capitalism always displays. No matter what mess up in the economy capitalism produces, and let's remember, we have an inflation because that's how capitalism works. And now we're going to solve the inflation by whacking the people who are debtors or need to go into debt. And that's the peculiar way. Notice we solve the problem by never questioning or challenging or limiting 
the freedom of capitalists to do as they want, as if that freedom didn't get us into this dilemma in the first place. It is the way a system continues even long after it has demonstrated to most reasonable people that its historical time is over. Richard, it's important, the the point that you are emphasizing, that what we're experiencing are decisions, the decision to raise prices, the decision to sort of limit credit, the decision as a consequence of the limitation of credit to prevent investment or to make it harder for you know people who are already settled with debt to pay their debt back. In other words, there are decisions all along the way by people who have the authority to make decisions. And you're saying this is the, the employer class or the government that functions as their servant or the Federal Reserve that functions as the servant of the capitalists writ large and the banks in particular. It's very noteworthy your presentation is so almost diametrically different from mainstream economists. I'm thinking about Lawrence Summers, who was the president of Harvard, former secretary of the Treasury. He's been making the rounds. I've heard him all over the place on you know, general media, also in some specialized media. But he's making the rounds because... He was a, quote, budget hawk. He was against opening the spigots during the middle of COVID and having additional expansion of quantitative easing earlier. He felt it went on too long. He's also making the argument that we are inevitably going to suffer this extreme inflation, which is wiping out people's limited savings, the people who have limited savings, which is the majority of the population. Unless we get wage inflation under control, this is, I mean, I've heard him give the same speech five times. Wage inflation is the problem. And he said, you know, if you look at the different indices, the government spent all of this money as a way of priming the pump, sort of Keynesian government spending to keep, you know, the economy afloat. It created additional demand. Now we have workers who, because of so-called labor shortages, are demanding and getting higher wages. This spiral can only stop when we get wage inflation under control. And it completely goes against the point that you're making. He's making it sound like there are these inevitable mechanisms that are almost decision-free. Like there's, there's basically two categories of choices, or maybe even one and a half, but they don't really require human beings to make decisions because it's either this or that, nothing more. And your point is that none of this is actually inevitable. These are all decisions being taken by sectors of society that have this authority. You know, I think most people actually do believe that things are inevitable. I think they kind of think this is the way it is. This is sort of like maybe they didn't read it in the New or Old Testament, but this is just the way things are. And it's important that we dispel this kind of false consciousness that's obviously promoted by people like Lawrence Summers. Well, you know, Lawrence Summers reminds me that there's a piece of wisdom that is like when he speaks. The wisdom goes like this. Twice a day, a broken clock is exactly on time. If you think about that, 
you will understand Mr. Summers. He has been telling us, contrary to what I'm sure he knows, he and I have very similar backgrounds, went to the same schools, had the same classes, learned the same economics. He knows very well that what he is saying is contrary to the conventional wisdom, and he hopes, I suspect, that this will get him more attention, and I believe he probably is right about that. But let's examine it. The increase in the money supply that he railed against in recent years is, in fact, very old. It began a long time ago, but in modern history, it really took off with the crash of the year 2000. We had a bad crash in the spring of that year, so-called dot-com crash, and one of the responses was to pump money into the economy to lower interest rates. Guess what? With all the increase in the money supply then, and it was remarkable, no inflation. We did exactly the same thing, only on a bigger scale, after the crash of 2008 and 9, Pumped an enormous amount of money, and once again, no inflation. He knows that. I know it. Anyone looking at the numbers will see it. So clearly, there is no necessary relationship between increasing the money supply and a general inflation of prices. Where the explanation is for this is also pretty straightforward. All of the extra money went not into the economy of goods and services, which is why we didn't see an inflation there. The money went somewhere else, namely into the stock market. And guess what? There we had an inflation. The last 20 years have been a remarkable bonanza for people active in the stock market. The prices of shares of companies went up and up and up in a gleeful enjoyment for the 10% of our people who have a significant amount of stocks. Now, all that has happened is that the stock market reached such lofty levels because of the inflation that happened there that people began to say, wait a minute, I'm not going to continue buying shares because I'm not so sure they'll continue to go up. They are already much higher than is normal for the level of economic activity we actually have. So they didn't move their money into the stock market the way they did before. Where did the rich move their money? Into goods and services, into raising the price of these things, because that became a less risky way to make more profits. Get into the business of producing things again, but charge more for... It's just a typical, normal, capitalist way of moving investments from where the profits are not as good-looking to where they are better-looking. But of course, never taking responsibility for the social consequences of what they do, the capitalists go from pillar to post, from one crisis to another. Having now waltzed their way into the inflation, finally, not of the stock market, that was a happy time for them, but now in the general economy, 
And let me be clear to people, over the last year of rising prices, the profits of most large corporations went up. In other words, an inflation was a profitable activity for them led, by the way, by the big food companies and the big oil and gas companies who raised their prices the most, they did really well. Well, now they've run out of that gambit and they're wondering what to do next. Well, let's clean out the economy we've put into such a mess by having the Federal Reserve come in and jack up the interest rates. And that's why you saw over the last 10 days J.P. Morgan's or Jamie Dimon, the big shots in many other of the big banks saying, uh-oh, a hurricane, that's Jamie Dimon's word, a hurricane of economic contraction, because if you jack up the interest rates, all these people who were going to be spending money that they borrowed won't borrow, won't spend Goods will not be sold. The profits we had been making won't continue. We'll all hunker down, which is the polite way of saying we will lay off millions of workers, which means that at a time of a volatile culture in which we are more divided as a nation than we have been in decades, when we have to deal with gun violence and shooting and splits over abortion and a serious effort to revive white supremacy and all the rest of it, we are now going to add fuel to that fire by not only whacking people with an inflation, but giving them the nice one-two punch of a recession coming at the end of this year or early next. Then the people who make this happen, the 1%, of our culture, the employer class, they will be wagging their fingers at the mess they've made by blaming the mess instead of themselves. They will blame the people who shoot up a school. They will blame the people who talk white supremacy. They will fill in the blank. This marvelous ability to be eager to find the bad person over there so that no blame falls on you or the system that made you rich. We are reaping a whirlwind because we continue to be a society unable to be self-critical about its economic system. It is watching the lemmings rush off the end of the pier to their own doom. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. There's a new hard copy edition of Professor Wolff's book, Understanding Marxism. It's been released recently. It features a new lengthy introduction strengthening the case for why Marxism is worth understanding. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow from the People's Summit in Los Angeles. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. 
We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. 